Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Because he chose not just to die for us, it wasn't a firing squad where they blindfold you and then you're gone. This was a torturous, torturous process. The things leading up to the cross, the things that happened on the cross. Jesus chose not just to die, but to suffer and die for our sin. And he would not numb that pain for anything. Today we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Golgotha. We're in the midst of Mark chapter 15, looking at the trials, crucifixion, and burial of our Lord. Today's broadcast takes over right where we left off yesterday in Mark 15, starting in verse 21. So let's listen in. Well, they compelled a certain man, verse 21 says, Simon, a Cyrenian, father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. You know, in that day, well, many of you don't, so now you will. The Roman Empire had set up the legal system so that if a Roman soldier was traveling down the road and he was getting tired because his pack was heavy, he could grab hold of anyone in the Roman Empire and say, hey, you carry my pack for me. Jesus actually uses this as an illustration of how we can win people who are opposed to Christ or even abusive to us, for many would have felt that was abusive, when he said, when you're required to go one mile, say, hey, I'll go two. The extra mile is all about that law and that pack. Because what happens is you're forced to wear the pack for a mile. At the end of the mile, you look at the guy and say, you look kind of tired. I'll tell you what, it's uphill from here and it's 108 out here in the desert. Let me wear it another mile for you. And what are they going to say? Why would you do that? I just made you do it here. Well, you don't have to tell them. You take authority away from someone when you willingly do what they need or want or ask. But not just that. It's a testimony to them. They're going to say, why would you do this? And you're going to say, well, I met this guy, Jesus. and I had this servant and, and he healed him. Or I had this son and he healed him. Or I was blind and now I see. There's opportunity to share. And oftentimes in the season where, where things are so stressed and so hard and people can be so unkind, even people you're trying to help, in the midst of that, that's the open door to love them in response. Do you know when Jesus said to love your enemies and do good to them and pray for them, that it's impossible to obey that command unless you have an enemy? Now, I'm not saying go out and make some enemies so you can obey Jesus and loving them. You don't have to do that. You just have to live for Jesus and the enemies will find you. But how we respond to them, it's everything because every encounter is an opportunity to testify of our carnality, our impatience, our hostility, our Whatever it may be in us, whatever it is, it's going to spill over on them. And if we're filled with the grace and mercy of Christ, that's what they're going to see. That's what they're going to get from us. Well, they compel Simon. He's there with his boys, Alexander and Rufus. Imagine that. You come up to celebrate the feast. You bring your boys. They're going to be awesome guys. 
And as soon as you find your, there's a big ruckus, you find your way to the front of the crowd to see what in the heck's going on. And they're like, you take this cross. Oh, there's something else. Jesus bore his cross for us. He did leave that place bearing his cross. But we know every criminal was charged with the responsibility of bearing their cross. But Jesus wasn't a criminal. He wasn't even a sinner. So God saw fit. However it goes down in the story, God's ultimately in control. And he's like, let's get this guy, an actual sinner, to bear the cross for the sinless one. And Jesus had already taught his disciples, though they didn't yet understand it, that in order to follow him, they needed to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. Track with me on this. It's so important. Jesus bore his cross for us. There was no sin. There was no crime. The only sinless man died for our sins, was buried and rose again. He bore his cross for us. That means when we take up our cross, it's not about us. It's for the sake of others. How do we know? He said, deny yourself and take up your cross. If my cross was this thing I had to bear for some reason for me, that makes no sense. Jesus already did that for me. But I bear my cross and you bear yours for others. As you do that, well, again, opportunity to testify. Imagine this guy's testimony after Jesus' resurrection. They're like, hey, aren't you the guy who was carrying the cross? Yeah, I'm so glad I did. I can't say with absolute certainty that Simon or Alexander or Rufus comes to the Lord, but I do know that Rufus is mentioned, someone named Rufus, later in the New Testament. In any case, I would think this experience would have led someone to research further and find out that Jesus didn't just die on a cross. He was buried and rose again the third day. They brought him to the place Golgotha. I mentioned we wouldn't even know about it, care about it. We would have never heard of it were it not for Jesus' death there on it. The place Golgotha, it's translated place of the skull. Golgotha is Aramaic. It's the common language of the Jews. Calvary, by the way, is from the Latin, the language of government. This is interesting. We went down to Juarez. We've been going there for years. In fact, we go there with Samaritan's Purse, deliver shoeboxes. We were on this side gathering them and we like, we want to go deliver them. And they're like, we have a place no one wants to go. Will you go? And we're like, sure. But, you know, I found it's good to ask where before you say sure. <laughs> Turned out to be Juarez, Mexico. Everyone had left. YWAM had left. All of the various ministries that were down there left because it just got too dangerous to be there. Now, we never mentioned that when we're recruiting for the trip. But how long have we been going, Dick? Like a dozen years or more? It's, it's a season. And here's the interesting thing. They're actually a Calvary Chapel down there where we go in Juarez, Mexico, but they can't call it Calvary Chapel because Calvary means the place of the skull. And it's like, come to place of the skull church. Actually, that would be, you could probably do that in LA because it'd be like place of the skull. That's, that's rad or whatever people say down there now. But anyway, Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary. Anyway, then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. This would be a narcotic mix to numb the pain, and Jesus refused. Why? 
because he chose not just to die for us. It wasn't a firing squad where they blindfold you and then you're gone. This was a torturous, torturous process. The things leading up to the cross, the things that happened on the cross. Jesus chose not just to die, but to suffer and die for our sin. And he would not numb that pain for anything. And then it says, and they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. And it was the third hour, 9 a.m., when they crucified him. This is fulfilling a prophecy of Psalm 22:18, one of many that if you read that psalm, having just read this passage with me today, and why do I read all of it to you? Well, because that's what God gave me to do. And I'm convinced no matter how many times I say, you really need to read your Bible, not everyone will. So I've been saying you need to read it or listen to it because you can get an app and it will read it to you in whatever version you desire. I do both. I know these passages well. I still read them and outline them and pray over them and ask God to speak to me personally through them and then speak through me to you. And so in the midst of that, third hour, 9 a.m., it's important. You'll see why in a moment. There's an inscription of his accusation that was written above, verse 26, the king of the Jews. The Romans would write the name of the person who was being crucified and they would write the crimes for which they were being crucified. It's important because Jesus didn't have any crimes that they could actually put on that cross. They don't care that the Jews thought he was guilty of blasphemy. It's not a crime. And, and as far as saying he himself was a king, I don't think Pilate or Herod or any other king would have looked at Jesus and said, yeah, he's a serious threat. No, they'd write the, the name of the person and the crimes of each one. They did it in Hebrew or Aramaic. Again, language of the, the Jews. Latin, the language of government. And Greek, the common language spoken around the world at that point, just as English is today. It would be common to see Someone's name, say Barabbas, murderer, or somebody else, uh, rapist, or, or someone else, kidnapper. You would expect to see that, but no one would expect to see this. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. I know that, that Mark here just says king of the Jews. But when you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and put them together as we must for the complete picture, what was on that cross was who he is, Jesus of Nazareth, and the accusation for which he was crucified, the king of the Jews. There's something just not right about that. Why? Because which of these things is not like the other? Murderer, kidnapper, rapist, king of the Jews. It just doesn't fit the criminal profile, you see. Well, they come to Pilate, who had vacillated and, and who had humiliated himself in the process, and they say, hey, don't write that he's the king of the Jews. Write that he said he was the king of the Jews. And it's the only time I see him standing up to them, he says, what I've written, I've written. With him, they crucified two robbers, verse 27, one on the right 
one on the left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which said he was numbered with the transgressors and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads saying, ah, oh, you who destroyed the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. <clears throat> Likewise, the chief priest also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Listen, those words are absolutely true, but they didn't understand them as they proclaimed them. Oh, they were aware he'd saved people. He delivered a woman they said was brought in the very act of adultery. And when their accusers, her accusers left, he said, where are those accusers? She said, Is there no one who condemns you? She said, no one, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. That's half of the equation. Go and sin no more. That's the other. That would be God's word to some of you today. He's not accusing you. He's not condemning you. You're already self-accused and condemned. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you're still dead in trespasses and sin. And uh, if you don't know it, you just need to say, God, is that true? If you're even real, can, can you convict me today? We're praying that will happen. And you should open yourself to that opportunity and that possibility. Well, in any case, they're proclaiming the truth, but they don't really get that. It's absolutely true. He can't save himself because if he did, he couldn't save us. And he wouldn't have gone through all this, leaving heaven, becoming one of us, not just appearing as one of us, born of the Virgin Mary, raised, growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. All the things he goes through in his life, all the things his mother goes through in her life because of watching what happens to him, all of that leads to this reality. He had to go to the cross and in all, he'd been saying it for months and months. We're going up, I'll be handed over, I'll be crucified, but I'll rise again the third day. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. He did better. He died on that cross, but rose again three days later. I'd say that's a more radical, radical outcome. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. But we know from the other gospel writers, one repented and he gave his life to the Lord that day and found himself in paradise with the Lord that day. Listen, he, he says to the other who was crucified on the other side of Jesus. We deserve what we're getting. This man's done nothing wrong. He confesses his sin and his friends because you pretty much usually just stick to your own sin if you're confessing. But if you're on a cross, you know, or death row with your buddy, you can pretty much say us. We've sinned, he's innocent. And then he says, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom, to which Jesus replies, today you'll be with me in paradise. Do you know with absolute certainty that if you die, you're going to be with the Lord? Because to be absent from the body for a believer in Jesus is to be present with the Lord. That's his promise. We breathe our last here. We breathe our first there. We shut our eyes here. We open our eyes there. And it's a whole new us, fit for eternity. In any case, we press on. The sixth hour had come. 
third hour, that was 9 a.m., now it's noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Wednesday night, we began a two-part study in between books there, finished the Old Testament for the third time. But we began a two-part study on compromise, and, and we're looking at the Exodus, the, the events leading up to the Exodus. We looked at the first six of the 10 plagues. The ninth plague, which we'll look at this Wednesday if you're available and free, come down. The, the ninth plague was darkness. Not three hours of darkness, three days of darkness, but the children of Israel had light, we're told, in their, their residence, in their tents, in their, their, their homes. And, and so a darkness that could be felt it's noon, and that's important because it gets dark at noon and you can't see anything. And for three hours, Jesus suffers on that cross. There's a prescription between the ninth and the tenth plague, and that is to slay a lamb there in Exodus. And, and it says, take the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintels of the house. And God says, when I pass through, I'll pass over and spare the firstborn in every household where these three things took place. And they're what has to take place today. For believers and those becoming believers, you need to hear God's word. That's why I'm reading you all of it. So you'll have heard it. Then you need to believe God's word. They heard it. They believed it. But there was a third step and you have to take it too. You have to obey it. It didn't, it, it wouldn't have not, it wouldn't not. That, no, that wouldn't have not. That, that's a double negative. I think that means the opposite. But never the case, uh, nevertheless, um, had they believed it, heard it and believed it, but not obeyed it, their firstborn would have died. So it is. You can hear that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again, that there's life and forgiveness in him. You can hear it. You can believe it. But unless you act upon it, and receive the Lord as your Lord, receive Jesus as your Savior, you will die in your sins. And 1 John says, he who has the Son has life. He who is not the Son of God does not have life, but you get to choose life or you continue as you are. Christ, our Passover, we read in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, was sacrificed for us, 1 John says, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. The ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sambachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many know where those words first appear? Don't be embarrassed to raise your hand. And please, if you know somebody, raise your hand. Oh, good, 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 good. I see those hands. Bow your head. Lord Jesus, no, I'm kidding. We're not there yet. We're almost there. That was a, a, you know, a trial run. Um, first words of Psalm 22. Listen, if you didn't read it, you should be able to guess it by now. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus cries it from the cross. He also cries, I thirst. And we read here in verse 35, some who stood by when they heard that said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it him to him to drink saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to him. Listen, six hours earlier, he refused that sop. This time he takes it. 
Why? Because he is about to give up his life for us. John 19.30 says Jesus received the sour wine this time and cried out, it is finished. Paid in full. Matthew 15, 37, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Luke 23, 46 tells us what he cried. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And Mark 15, the latter part of verse 37 says, he breathed his last. Truly, no one took his life from him. He had power to lay it down and power to take it up again. And he said, I received this command from my father. The veil of the temple torn from top to bottom. This is the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies in the temple. It's so important. Only the high priest could enter into that holy of holies. Only on the day of atonement. And Jesus, at his death, when his, he, he was torn himself by the the. the the, the bruising and the, and the scourging and the, the crown of thorns from which he bled, the nails in his hands and feet. Listen, the veil of his body, it was torn. And Hebrews likens this temple, that veil, because Jesus opens the doors, if you will, to enter into the very throne room of God. Come boldly to the throne of grace, we're told, that we could find help in our time of need. The centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last and said, truly this man was the son of God. First to testify after Jesus' death, a Gentile Roman commander of a hundred men. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the lesson of Joseph and Salome, others who followed him and ministered to him. And when he was in Galilee, many other women who came up with them to Jerusalem. These examples to follow all. And we'll come back to the women because they will be the first to the tomb. They will be the first to testify that Jesus rose from the dead, but that's our study next time. For now, take note of this. They followed him. They ministered to him. They came up with him and they will be testifying for him. When evening had come, because it was preparation day, that is the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. The disciples are all in hiding. They've all forsaken him. Peter's denied him. Nobody's coming for him. And Joseph, a secret follower, like his partner there on the council, Nicodemus, he comes taking courage and says, I want the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked if he'd been dead for some time. He found the centurion and he granted the body to Joseph. He brought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, rolled the stone against the door of the tomb and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. No wicked hands ever touched Jesus after his death. Hands that loved him took him down and, and, and wrapped him up and put him into a tomb, hewn out of the rock, rolled the stone, 
And we'll be coming back to all that next week. I think back to when I first heard the entire story of Jesus' crucifixion as told in the Gospels. I was heartbroken and I wept. I saw it as a tragedy. Yet as I grew in the Lord, I realized it to be a supreme act of love by our God and Creator, and not just some horrendous act of hatred by mankind. Now, I'm still moved by the telling of these events, but it's different for me now. It makes me want to respond. Yet all Jesus asks is that I accept this amazing gift. Our response is this. He gave his life as a ransom for many, so we give our lives back to him to use as he pleases. 1 Corinthians 6.20 puts it this way. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.